2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, Joe Mixon's counterpart in the other Queen City, that's Charlotte, Carolina Panthers. Christian McCaffrey signed a mega deal, four-year extension worth $64 million. We'll talk about that impact on Joe Mixon. We'll talk about that contract in general because it will have an impact on the Cincinnati Bengals. Then we watched, along with the Bengals-UK folks, the 2005 Bengals-Steelers game on Sunday. We said yesterday we would talk about it today, and so we will talk about the things that were very interesting that stood out when we were watching that game, reflecting on that 2005 year. And also today, Zach Taylor talked to Dan Patrick, and it doesn't sound like the Bengals- are very likely to be trading down from his comments. And as I mentioned, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago now, Zach Taylor has been remarkably transparent for an NFL head coach. When he actually says something, he's very good about not saying anything, but he has been very consistent with his messaging. And that leads me to believe that he's generally been pretty honest with us. So if you were worried yesterday, uh, we can maybe start To forget that feeling a little bit but first let's talk about Christian McCaffrey's new deal Christian McCaffrey signs a 64 million dollar four-year extension and Joe while those numbers sound astronomical since they are an extension it's slightly less money per year than it looks like on its face
1: Yeah, it's being touted as a $16 million a year average because, you know, we usually get the numbers from the agents first and they want it to look as big as possible. But really, he's got one year, $5.5 million left on his rookie deal. So if you put it together, it is a five-year, $69.5 million deal, which brings the average to $13.9 million. And I'm not trying to downplay that. That's still pretty crazy. And I think we instantly look at Joe Mixon as maybe the next back in line to get an extension. And after a bunch of running backs got cut this year, whether it was Devonta Freeman, David Johnson, or Todd Gurley, and those second contracts were just ripped up right there after two and three years, we kind of say, well, maybe the running backs won't get paid as much, and we don't even get to enjoy that thought for a month as Christian McCaffrey breaks the bank.
2: But there are a couple of dimensions to this. First off, $13 million a year isn't that far off what we were thinking would be a reasonable contract for Joe Mixon. It is a little bit higher. For sure, it's actually 30% higher. We were thinking somewhere around $10 million a year would be the asking price for Joe Mixon. But Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon essentially play different positions. They have different roles in their respective offenses, despite both of them definitely lining up in the backfield with frequent alignment where running backs line up. Christian McCaffrey's production in the receiving game is essentially that of a slot receiver in addition to his contributions in the running game. The Bengals don't use Joe Mixon that way.
1: And that's always the argument, right? When these guys get extended, it's that they're special. They're different than the last guys. They're used differently. They're, they've are they got a bigger role. Uh, they, the Panthers got extreme production out of the running back position last year. Can, you know, when you include the targets, the catches, the yards and receiving, and they won five games. And... They started off hot too and they it went down the tank, man. There was three games where McCaffrey was stuffed at the line of scrim- at the line of scrimmage, at the goal line, to lose the game. Three point games, I believe, all three of them. And um you look at it and you say, Is he the type of guy that's gonna carry the load? Or are they paying him like a slot receiver? They put him in Wildcat when they didn't have Cam Newton last year and let him run out of there, too. So are they really paying him because he's three different guys? I think in the comparison to Joe Mixon, It's that you don't get the receiving production out of Mixon. And everybody, I think any Bengals fan would say, it's got to happen before you extend him, or that has to be the plan if you extend him.
2: Yeah, looking at his snap breakdown, he had 10% of his snaps actually in a wide receiver position, slot or out wide. If you look at his snaps by a breakdown, he only had 296 carries, which is a lot. But he's on the field for over 1,000 snaps. 600 of those snaps, he ran pass routes. You compare that to Joe Mixon, those numbers are going to absolutely dwarf the way the Bengals use Mixon because the Bengals took Mixon off the field in passing situations, in small part or large part perhaps, to the fact that Giovanni Bernard is a better pass protector. Joe, how often did the Bengals, by comparison, use Joe Mixon as a receiver last year?
1: So in comparison to those 1,000 snaps from McCaffrey, Mixon was at 653 snaps, so significantly less. He ran 254 pass routes while pass blocking 78 times. Mixon saw 42 targets and caught 35 passes. That's 83.3% completion percentage, but 42 targets. I mean, what are we talking about there? So
2: here's where it really gets crazy and into apples and oranges. First off, Mixon plays about 65% of the snaps to McCaffrey. So if you want to pay him 65% of what McCaffrey's making, that's $8.5 million per year. Great. We're happy with that. That's reasonable. But then you look at the target numbers, and Christian McCaffrey last year had 135 targets. He had 116 Hmm. catches. Hmm. That's absolutely insane production for a halfback in the receiving game. And the crazier thing, beyond all that, he had a thousand and five total yards, 997 of those yards come after the catch mm-hmm. for McCaffrey.
1: Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So he had 400 touches total. and he was probably designed for what five no 450, 430 plays total. So man, that's just that's crazy. Mixon hit 300, so a 100 less touches for mixon to uh, to Christian McCaffrey
2: pretty consistently in that 60 to 70 percent of the utilization that the Panthers have for McCaffrey. And if that's their plan for him going forward, it makes sense that you would pay him a lot of money, right? Because he is touching the ball on almost 50 percent of the Panthers snap. Joe Mixon, that's not the case. I wouldn't expect him to get a deal as big as McCaffrey's. Let's talk about the argument on the other side really quick. Just be in Joe Mixon's favor here because Joe Mixon is a fantastic player. He's a very good running back, Joe. He just doesn't have that level of he doesn't have that footprint on the offense that Christian McCaffrey has this isn't to say Joe Mixon doesn't deserve to be paid and if I'm Joe Mixon I'm telling the Bengals get me on the field in all those passing
1: situations get me 80 targets a year
2: and we've talked about that on this podcast for quite a while
1: yeah I've said it Countless times that when you go back to that draft class, the two best receivers were Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon out of the backfield. I'm, I might cut up a clip of or a two minute video for Twitter for um, Joe Mixon's targets at Oklahoma because he was uncoverable. I mean, splitting out wide, running routes. And you got to think too if the Bengals draft Joe Burrow as we expect and go to a more wide open offense and spread it out and let Joe Mixon go out and, and catch passes the way we expect him to do, like Clyde Edwards-Alaire did at LSU, then it'll make sense and it'll be worth it. But uh, at the same time, does that lessen the value of him as a running back? And at that point, can you find him to be even more replaceable?
2: I just hope they find ways to use all his skills. Like you said, at Oklahoma, very good receiver. Interestingly, higher passer rating for Joe Mixon when targeted than Christian McCaffrey. I mean, given it's about 40%, actually it's 30% of the target. So he's not getting nearly the amount of production, but on a per pass target basis, there's definitely a lot of value there. And you could make the argument that he should have more opportunities. So I hope that the Bengals and Joe Mixon get it figured out in a way that works for both parties. I would hate to see this hamstring the Bengals from a long-term team-building perspective, but I like Joe Mixon, and Mm -hmm. every time I talk about this, I just come to the conclusion that I hope it works out for everybody. Coming up next, we've got some more news related to the Bengals. This is directly related to the Bengals because Zach Taylor went on the Dan Patrick show, and Dan Patrick didn't ask Zach Taylor why he wanted to go to Cincinnati despite how terrible that team is. He just asked him if there's anything that was going to move the Bengals off the number one pick. Find out what Zach Taylor had to say in just a minute. Before we get there, Joe, I don't know about you, I've been ordering some food during the recent weeks, and we've got a pretty good offer for the people here through Postmates.
1: You know what's cool about this is New York State lifted the law that you can now deliver alcoholic drinks, so – Take advantage of deliveries while you can, while these states uh, have different rules for us all. And Postmates will bring you anything from an early morning
2: breakfast burrito to a 12 pack of beers when you're watching the Bengals UK Rewinds on Sunday. And you can get a $100 free delivery credit for your first seven days right now. All you have to do to start free deliveries is
1: download the app
2: and use code LOCKEDONNFL.
1: So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. And Postmates isn't just food too. They'll go to the convenience store, they'll go to the clothing stores. We're not trying to go out anyway, so this is perfect for this time to use Postmates. Again, to take advantage of this offer, use code
2: LOCKEDONNFL. That's $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates it. Postmate it.
0: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Is there a scenario where you would change who you're taking? It
2: doesn't look that way. You know, I think we've if there's a guy there that you believe in that can really change the franchise over the next 10, 15 years, then... That's a hard thing to pass up on, and you know people all the time ask me what would it take to give up that pick. And if there's if there's somebody there that people are willing to give up a lot for that they believe in, you know, then that just that really verifies
1: what we think about those players as well. So, says he, had all shakes out next week. That was Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor on with Dan Patrick and discussing the Bengals draft, where they're at, where they stand. Would they change the pick? this late? Is there still any decision-making? Doesn't seem like there is, but this was part of, I say, an interesting hour to two hours of news. First, it was the Bengals have maximized all of their time or maxed out all of their time with Joe Burrow on the conference calls. You can get three hours a week. So that came out. Then it was the Dan Patrick show where he pretty much said, nope, we've got our guy. We know who it is. And then right after was the Miami Herald saying, the Dolphins don't want to give up the farm for Joe Burrow. And so I think, Jake, I, I think a lot of people let out a little bit of the last XL they had before we get the final confirmation of, ah, okay, this is going to happen. We can make it.
2: How many times have we said this now, though? I feel like we've been like, and we can put the story to bed like three times uh, right. or, or four times. There've been many separate occasions when we've thought, oh, it's finally going to stop. We're, we're finally going to stop talking about it. And I don't think this is it now. Now I'm not buying it anymore. And, and and I hope that I've I've been wrong the last few times because I've been like, OK, his his combine comments surely will stop this or his parents will surely stop this or whatever. And it didn't. And so maybe this time I'll go the other way and it'll actually stop because, I mean, we, we even talked about Travis Wingfield, the old locked on Dolphins guy who now works directly for the Dolphins DM'd me last week when I was talking about this. And he says, this is this is exactly why the Dolphins won't do the trade. Chris Greer is on record saying he would rather have the players. Now, right. could this be posturing from Zach Taylor and Chris Greer? Sure, is it? Well, I talked in the first part of the show about how I think Zach Taylor has been a man of his word, and uh, so I believe him. That that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, and I think the other part is that the the other two reports, you know, the Dolphins wouldn't give up the farm. So okay, that like I said, could be posturing but also tied in with that the Bengals are still maximizing their weekly a lot of time with Joe Burrow, yeah. it seems like they know what they want. And I had a question on Twitter. Is there any chance that this means it's Chase Young? Is it, You know, just last one last hope is it maybe Chase Young. No, because Zach Taylor said franchise-changing guy. If there's a franchise-changing guy at the top of the draft that we think can do that for us for 10 to 15 years, that's not a defensive end. That's not a pass rusher. Sure. That is He's talking quarterback, and it it's Joe Burrow, guys.
2: Yeah, unless you're Dave Gettleman, the only franchise-changing player on a team is a quarterback. And speaking of Dave Gettleman, just for comedic value here, we might get to twice laugh out loud in our live show Dave Gettleman because reports today are that the Giants might pick Derek Brown Mm. instead of any of the other guys they could take there. Because they're they're picking
1: third, right? Do I have that (laughs) correct? Yeah, they took, no, they, uh, Detroit's third, uh, Giants of fourth. But didn't they take Dexter Lawrence last year out of Clemson? Yep. Okay.
2: I thought for sure it was going to be Isaiah Simmons. That's the way the draft props have been going. He went from, like, plus 900 for a top four pick to plus 135 or yeah. something, which is a huge movement. So I thought for sure it was going to be Simmons. But, hey, here we go. Uh, I, it's lying season is, is all I really got to say.
1: There, it's funny because it is lying season, especially these last two weeks. You will get a lot of weird reports, but you also get the true reports, or at least the truest in, in the draft sense of how it's going to affect the draft. This is when you find out that a team likes a certain quarterback or that a guy's going to go top 10 or top 15, and it happens. But you're going to get a lot of mixed things in there that you have to wade through, and you really only know the truth once it happens on draft night. So while
2: Twitter was alight with people reacting to Dan Patrick, people reacting to the Christian McCaffrey signing, I was engaged in a conversation, Joe, with Willie Anderson about the Bengals transitioning to a 3-4 defense. Bengals captain, who is a very prominent fan in the Twitterverse, tweeted, Bengals are going to a 3-4 defense, and I thought I had missed a news story. But this is something that happened really last year where we Mm -hmm. started seeing... The 5-2 looks, it's all under front stuff. It's all one gap stuff. There's nothing that's really different about the style of 3-4 that the Bengals played last year than the 4-3 they played the year before in terms of individual responsibilities. There might be some, right? We saw Sean Williams playing a linebacker role. So we would see five defensive linemen, one linebacker, and Sean Williams on a lot of plays. But the defensive linemen the only thing that really changed for them is they dropped into coverage a little bit more. Sam Hubbard, Carl Lawson, Carlos Dunlap each had about 50 coverage snaps or something. They were in two-point stances a lot more. But Carlos Dunlap also had some of the best play of his career in the second half. So while Willie Anderson's making points about, you know, if I'm an offensive tackle, which he is, and I know Carlos Dunlap has to stand up, I'm thrilled about that. He also said he knows for a fact that Carl Lawson hates rushing from a two-point stance, would dramatically prefer to be in a three-point stance. But I think all this is is just a little overblown because the Bengals were there last year. All this 5-2 stuff they did, 90% of that five-man front they showed was a 3-4 under look.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, too, even if you're a 3-4 defense, if Carl Lawson doesn't like putting his hand down or standing up to rush, he doesn't have to. When you go into your nickel package, the two ends are going to put their hand down to play. And it's going to be Carlos Dunlap, and it's going to be Carlos. And so it doesn't change that at all. 65% of the season will still be the same as it always has been. Only thing that really changes is how they defend the Ravens, to be honest with you. And what it does is it gives you bigger, longer guys out there instead of poor linebackers they've had for how many years. But uh, it's sure, it's a little, It's not a change. That, that's the hard part. It's because they did this last year. I've had the feeling they went out and signed a nose tackle. They went and signed a nose tackle from a 3-4 defense that's bigger and longer than Andrew Billings. So I think they knew what they wanted in that position. I've been calling them a 3-4 defense the whole offseason. I've been saying they've got their two starting linebackers. And I don't mean nickel, because I say that when I'm talking about nickel. Josh Bynes Bynes is not a nickel linebacker, but they have their two inside linebackers for the 3-4 defense.
2: Yeah, that's 100%, right? And so I think that talk about this being a big change is probably a little bit overblown, but... There might be some stuff changing. It might be that they're going to use more of it. They, mm-hmm. the, the, one, the one fear I kind of have is I think, well, we've got DJ Reader now. We've got a nose tackle who's dominant, who is big enough and long enough to two-gap. And they've got Nick Eason, who comes from a Dick LeBeau system in Tennessee. Last year, they hired Tem Lukabu, coming from 3-4 uh, system in college. They've got Mark Duffner, who worked with Dick LeBeau in Cincinnati in the early 2000s. So the number of connections they have to 3-4 Dick LeBeau versus 3-4 under is a little worrisome because I don't think you want to use that two-gapping approach too often. And so, Joe, maybe let's, if you, you're you pretty good at this, give the quick rundown on 3-4 under versus a, a two-gapping LeBeau style 3-4. Uh, Let's not get yeah. too far into it, but let's let's tell people what we're talking about. It's,
1: it's basically a difference between one-gap and two-gap defense. And on a one-gap defense, you everyone's got their one gap. That's exactly as it sounds. And you're going to play it. You're going to shoot it. You're going to try and cause chaos for the, for the offense. On a two-gap defense, let's say the nose tackle is directly above the center. So at the snap, he's going to take him. He's going to try and stand him up. And he's going to protect to his right and to his left. And that's his two gaps. He's got the gap to his right shoulder and his left shoulder. So he needs to use his vision. He needs to use his length. Usually, they like longer guys there that can stand people up. Jordan Elliott would be great in a two gap system out of Missouri defensive tackle uh, because they're just, they're different. You're either you're a penetrator or you're a guy that's more of a heady awareness, vision type defender. And that's, those guys are better for the two gap side. Uh, but it, that ruins, in my opinion, that ruins uh, Geno Atkins. That's not what he's for. You know, yeah. I think. I think Carl Lawson has been great in the position he's been. So you don't want to mess with that too much. So I'm with you. You don't want to go to a straight up two gap scheme where you're going to try and design blitzes to to cause confusion. Uh, You have the playmakers. I think you use the two gap when you don't have the talent. They have the talent to cause some disruption. So let them still be one gap players.
2: Yeah. So that's a concern. If it is a transition that's being signaled to more two gap stuff, I hope it's like you're installing a two gap package. That right. uses DJ Reader and his skill set, Josh Tupo and Rennell Wren mm-hmm. or something in, in some sort of sub package. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what we're hearing about. This is the week when the Bengals would be having part of their offseason program opening up. I think Zach Taylor said last week, so uh, very well could be that they're starting to install some new things for 2020.
1: And the NFLPA did agree to a virtual offseason. So this may be part of it. They may have received their installation stuff in their playbook today, the players. And so they see it for the first time and they go, oh, less 4-3 stuff. So let's say they're multiple defense. 65% of the playbook is nickel. And then they had 30% mix between 3-4 four and 4-3, four, 5-2 looks, whatever you want to say. So all the 4-3 stuff is out of there now. They don't have to worry about it. And they're like, oh, more 3-4 looks. This is more defined. This is better than it was last year because they had confusion, I think probably because they are switching between so many different looks. Uh, that probably didn't help at all. So you streamline it, that probably gets players pretty excited.
2: Isn't the only thing they really care about, whether it's an over and under? I mean, it, it's just like Geno Atkins is going to be a 3-tech and and you're going to have – A nose tackle sometimes, but most of the time you're going to have another three tech or five tech, and you're going to have a seven and a nine, and and that's kind of the way the Bengals have run
1: their defense. Yeah, I probably, it probably gets different players excited, right? Some guys probably look at it and say, yeah, I'll get more opportunity to do this. Other guys probably look at it and say, ah, man, you know, I'd like to be able to be a little more flexible, to have, you know, different blitz packages, a little d- stuff designed for me that I can maybe drop in the coverage or do more. It seems like Sam Hubbard likes that stuff. He's all over the place. Yeah. He played some linebacker, D-tackle, D-end, you know, so he may like that, but other guys may not.
2: We're all speculating anyway. We won't really know until probably week one of the regular season.
1: Much like last year when we didn't know until week one, right?
2: Yeah, because they did not show us their hand in the preseason last year. They might do it a little more this year because teams will have tape on them from last year, but we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Joe, we watched a 2005 game on Sunday along with the Bengals UK podcast guys, and we're going to talk a little bit about the promise that was there, a bit of tragedy really a lot of tragedy that comes after that game for that draft class for the promise of that team so feel free to turn the podcast off honestly if if you don't want to go back and and look at that game but it was fun too there there were a lot of really fun things that team was really good so hopefully it's not too tragic hopefully we can we can look back fondly as well we'll get to that next
0: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
1: Every Sunday, the Hude UK podcast, the Cincinnati podcast has been putting on a live Twitter watch of old Bengals games. So they'll say, hey guys, at 2 o'clock we're going to, press play on this game on YouTube and we're all going to enjoy it together and tweet about it, which has been pretty successful and fun. I think uh, some of the games that are available for us all to watch are some of the best experiences we have in our last 15 years of watching Bengals football. And the last one was the 2005 game, I want to say week 14. I may be off there, but it was. You're shaking your head. Yes, it was. Thanks, Jake. (laughs) But the Bengals beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh 38-31. TJ Hirschman's out ahead of amazing game and it was getting the monkey off your back, winning the division and they dumped Gatorade on Marvin Lewis at the end. So it was that kind of game and experience and it was fun to rewatch. It was December 4th,
2: 2005 at Heinz Field, 63,044 disappointed Steeler fans in attendance as the Bengals beat the Steelers 38 to 31 in a year that the Steelers had a pretty good defense, but the Bengals and and Dick Hemberg talked about this during the game, Carson Palmer was completing nearly 70% of his passes, which in 2005 was Nuts. astronomical. He was yeah. having an MVP-like season for a lot of that year. Of course, this was the time when Peyton Manning reigned supreme in this game. Palmer was 22 for 38 for 227 yards, three touchdowns, he only took one sack. That offensive line was very,
1: very good. Very good. Actually, the sack was a coverage sack also. They pretty much pitched a shutout. That, and we, you mentioned this during the, uh, the tweet-a-thon of, of the game, but the that it was probably charged to Willie Anderson. Even though he did his job, it's just that Palmer tried to step up, step up, step up. No one's open. Guy beats him eventually inside, beats Willie inside for the uh, sack to finish it off.
2: The Bengals had... Five takeaways? Is that right? Or was it four? No, it was two fumbles and three interceptions. But did they recover the fumbles? They only recovered one of the fumbles. Kevin okay. Kayser-Harn recovered one. The Bengals could have had like eight takeaways in this game. Willie, Willie Parker fumbled a couple of times. Ben Roethlisberger had a dropped pick. But this was... Man, the linebacking core has not been this good in Cincinnati since 2005. Odell Thurman as a rookie, I think this was his fifth interception of the Two year. Two forced
1: fumbles and a pick.
2: He was crazy good. Brian Simmons had a pick drop in underneath a zone. Mm-hmm. He tipped the ball up to himself, comes down with it. Delta O'Neill, who I think led the league in interceptions that year with yep. Torrey James, was like second or something crazy like that. They had 24. They were plus 24 in turnover crazy. differential in this game, they mentioned during the broadcast. Not only that, you had Justin Smith out there. He had a sack and two tackles for a loss. David Pollock had a sack and a tackle for a loss. Jonathan Fanene, he mm-hmm. had some splash plays in his limited playing time. Just a lot of really good young players on that team. And the, the linebacker I haven't mentioned, Landon Johnson,
1: tied for the team league with 10 tackles. Yeah, Landon Johnson wasn't bad either. If that's your third guy, yeah. The the thing I kept I couldn't take my eyes off of was Odell Thurman, and he was just flying around so fast. He diagnosed so quickly, and he came with power. He had a, an intense motor and intensity about him. Even plays he got beat on, he was like going 100 miles an hour, and you're like, I you know, I'll take that man. I would take that again, no doubt. Um, it it reminded me, and then you know, you'd look and David Pollack could get a tackle, and then. Chris Henry would catch a pass, and it's like all from the same draft class, man. That 2005, yeah, 2005 draft class, that's the year they ha- actually had a chance to win something, and we all know what eventually happened, and, you know, so that's the tragic part of that, but the tragic part of that draft class, man, to nail those three picks, David Pollock, Odell Thurman, Chris Henry, because they don't, they probably don't win that division without those guys, and to think that that's all of what they're going to get from them. Mostly they had Chris Henry a little bit more. He gets suspended. He misses chunks of his career ultimately until he passed away. Uh, But you know, you really got nothing like you've got from those rookie years ever again.
2: Odell Thurman in his rookie season had five picks, forced five fumbles, had five tackles for a loss, and then he just never played again. He was a home run of a second round pick that, could have been leading that defense for 10 years, mm-hmm. but he couldn't get himself straight. And I mean, part one of the tragedy, right? Then the next year, David Pollock breaks his neck. That's yep. the end of his career. Yep. Uh, to I think mean, of not, that. Not only that, you have Chris Perry on that team. Yeah. The year before, who was coming on as a really good receiver.
1: Mm-hmm. Good compliment to Rudy Johnson. You know, it, Chris Perry could catch, he could run, he could do a lot of different things, and Rudy was, at that point, still powerful, dynamic runner in terms of balance and strength. And there's a the one play where he scores a touchdown, and Paolo bounces off his thigh, and you just go, man, that's what made him so good, was that contact balance. Uh, yeah, and then before that, though, I mean, the, I, I went back and looked because I'm thinking, yeah, Chad and TJ, both out of Oregon State, isn't that cool, isn't that weird, that's strange, isn't it? And they also got... Rudy Johnson and Justin Smith from that class. And Justin Smith, man, he was in his prime there. And you see him making a lot of plays, motor out of out of this world. I mean, yep. an intensity that's unmatched, almost probably Odell Thurman. Those two guys just run around, probably raise the intensity level for the entire defense. And I can't not think about the final two plays or maybe two of the last three plays where David Pollock gets a sack and then Justin Smith gets a sack to end it. And then on, on Pollock's sack, Justin Smith is kicked inside the defensive tackle. And I know a lot of fans look at how Smith was used in San Francisco, where he seems like he had a tremendous career there. You look at his numbers, they're almost exact with what he had in Cincinnati, but he got to play inside a D tackle much more in their three, four defense. And it dawned on me, well, he was with Pollock over the second half of that year, that 0-5 that year. And then Pollock, basically never really got to play again outside of a couple weeks the following year, that was the edge rusher. That was going to kick Justin Smith inside to, to really spark the rest of his career and make him that dominant player he became, and they never got the chance to do that. And so instead, the final two years, we get dwindling sack numbers from Justin Smith and because the plan fell through, because David Pollock got hurt.
2: And I just can't stop wondering, and Bengals fans around the world can't stop wondering if that 2005 playoff game had gone differently. Does the butterfly flap its wings, you know, and everything changes down the road? I mean, this team was stacked. Carson Palmer's your quarterback who is having an MVP-like season. Rudy Johnson's your running back, an incredible workhorse. He scored a ton of touchdowns that year. You got Chad, TJ, Chris Henry, excellent yeah. wide receiver trio. The offensive line was phenomenal. Levi Jones, Eric Steinbach, Rich Bram, Bobby Williams, Willie Anderson. Oof. One of the best offensive lines in Bengals history.
1: Yeah, easily. Carson Palmer, 14 of 15 games with over 100 quarterback rating at that point. I mean, that's just flawless quarterback play. You're going to win almost every single game if your quarterback puts up 100 rating, especially the way the defense was getting their hands on the ball. They were out. Playing the quarterback every time they went out there. There was a good chance if they continued that through the playoffs that they were going to make it hard for everyone. Now, Peyton Manning, it's funny because during the game, as we're watching the live watch, they're still yeah. doing the cuts to other yeah. teams and other. I mean, JP lossman had three touchdowns. Lee Evans had <laughs> Dolphins. I said, What is this? Three yeah. touchdowns. Man, Bill yeah. fans must have been going crazy. And then they cut to a Peyton Manning one, and he's doing what he does, carving him up at that time. He's in his prime. And I'm thinking, uh, maybe they wouldn't have beat the Colts in that year because Manning was so hard uh, to go against. The Bengals did have a really hard time with the
2: Colts while Palmer was in Cincinnati, but the Colts didn't win it that year. It's no, worth they didn't. remembering. The Colts well, lost in the playoffs to the Steelers
1: right. by a score of 21-18. to 18. Right, so that's why I wonder if the Bengals versus Colts would have... You know, because I was... It, I was thinking if they had beaten the Steelers, how does it go? How do the playoffs go? Do they eventually meet up with the Colts or the Patriots or whatever? How does that work out?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. But the Bengals, I mean, they were great that year. They they had everything going. They had all the pieces. The Steelers' defense, though, that year was quite good as well. The 31 points scored by the Bengals. 38. 38 points scored by the Bengals was the most they allowed all year by a margin of 12. They had 21 at halftime. Yeah. The Colts that year, the week prior scored 26. They won that game 26 to seven. That's the second most points the Steelers allowed that year. They had a very good defense and the Bengals put up 38 points on them. And, and in that playoff game, I mean, they, they started off, they, they were up 10, zero, were up 17, 14. And then, uh, when it became clear that Carson Palmer wasn't coming back into the game at halftime, things fell apart in the second half.
1: Yeah, Steelers did what they did. And what they did, they attacked those safeties. When it, I couldn't help but notice yeah. how often those two, Kevin Case for harm and uh, Obafemi Ohali, were just out of position. Just not the athletes you needed at that. You know, especially because Torrey James wasn't that fast at that point. Kiwan Ratliff's the nickel guy, so there was no speed there. The lack of speed outside of Delta O'Neill was a huge factor and why they got a lot of turnovers, because they had the ball skills, but they didn't have the speed. They got torched a lot on big plays. Uh, big Ben, I think, had his second three hundred yard game ever against Bengals that week. And uh, you know, uh, when you get to the playoff game, it just reminded me that, you know, the those trick plays and the double reverse passes and stuff and the safeties just couldn't find the ball. And yeah, it was the writing was on the wall there. You need a better safety play.
2: Worth noting that while Ben had all those passing yards it was because he threw so many picks he could have thrown four he had a broken thumb in that game they wouldn't let us forget when we were listening live (laughs) so that was a fun experience so looking back on that team that that was incredibly promising it's sad in retrospect but it's a little bittersweet too because just looking at what was there what could have been I don't know that's not all bad for me
1: the sweet part is despite the Bengals flaws we've never tried to hide from them and I think a lot of fans realize them 05, 2015, they were able to build championship rosters. And both times quarterback got hurt. I would have loved to have seen how they've won out. Now, does some fans go a little extra. They would have won it that year. I don't know that. Either year. But I would have liked to have seen it.
2: And that's where we're going to end up, Bengals fans, with that message. And I'm going to go with the message of hope that the Bengals drafting number one overall for the first time since they picked Carson Palmer are primed to return to that land. Marvin Lewis was energized and invigorated back in 2005. They were active in free agency heading into that year. They had a young, up-and-coming quarterback star. And they can do it again. And this time, we'll get the ending that we all deserve. We'll be back tomorrow, Bengals fans, with Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. The final edition of that PFF Draft Guide is out. We're going to talk about linebackers and the other positions that the Bengals could look at targeting on day two and day three of the draft. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements?